Yes, Wesley is refusing to come out, which is fine with me. Um, but if you hear Andrea scream and me run, you know that something has taken place. And Mark Vosper, you come up here and finish for me? Okay. Very good. Aren't, sometimes, aren't you just extremely proud to be an American? Right? Sometimes you just are so proud, like, like when you think about the Reagan years or... You watch Rocky IV and realize that America can solve all ills by punching. Um, there's just times you're extremely proud to be an American, and then there's times you're really embarrassed. I saw a news article today where a woman said she was going to marry a building to save it from being condemned. USA! USA! <laughs> She was going to marry a building, okay? And then I thought, well, I'm sure there's other weird things that people have married. Try this one on for size. Yasmin Ebley married herself, okay? Married herself because she said, my wedding was going to be about making a commitment to love myself, to honor myself, and to know my self-worth. I am extremely disappointed to be an American <laughs> when I read stories like that. She would go on to say this, if people don't understand the concept of self-love, then they don't understand what I'm doing. <laughs> the title of the article, I, what was it? Um, a woman marries herself, but not for the reason you would think. And I'm like, what reason would I think if I read that? There is no reason I would think, so you need to explain that to me. Um, yeah, there is no reason I would think. She kept saying, I want to love myself. I want to commit to myself. I want to do this. She said, love over and over again. And I just wanted to take the phrase from that brilliant philosopher, Inigo Montoya. <laughs> you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. If anyone can define love as taking care of themselves, if anyone can take the definition of love and make it to be about them, they really have no idea what love is. To give love a definition means there is a standard. To give love a definition means it has to have a source. And if you did the homework this week, you found out exactly where that source is. And what we need to do tonight is to make sure we know what that source is and what that definition of love is if we're going to be calling ourselves a marriage ministry committed to loving one another the way Christ has loved us. We better understand that. So go with me in your Bibles to 1 John Chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his Son in the world to save us. Uh, in this is love, not that we, uh, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 
What you will do is if you read newspaper articles or you listen to music, you read books, you watch movies, you will get a definition of love that has been corrupted by the world. The definition of love is what we find in this passage, but the world will take it and corrupt it and flip it and make it about feelings and about you so that they can define love as taking care of yourself. But God is going to define love a very different way. And when we stop trying to force our definition of what we think love is and just let God, who created everything, define love for us, we're going to do really, really well. So let's get it down number one this way. Let's define love biblically. Let's make sure we're defining love biblically. The world, coming no surprise, will define it the opposite of what the Bible says. The world says love is nothing really more than just an emotion. The Bible says it's nothing nothing less than emptying yourself for another person. The world will make it more about uh, affections really than actions. But the Bible is going to say love is a commitment, a choice, a desire, a determination for you to do something for someone else. And we need to make sure that we are living that way. Notice how it's put in our passage. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We need to make sure we understand this because if we don't get love right, we can't get God right. And if we can't get God right, we can't get the gospel right. We can't get anything right. God himself is love. Love. So what I want to do is I want to give you a, a definition and I want to prove it to you biblically on what I think love is. Jeremiah, I want to go ahead and throw it up there, okay? This is what I think the definition of love is. Love is a specified, self-sacrificial commitment to do the greatest good, not fro, but for another. Somebody's going to need to change that in the back. I don't want anybody getting any crazy hair ideas from me, Okay. <laughs> for another. Was that because I copied and pasted that? Was that my mistake or is that yours? Because I'll own up to it if it's me. Okay, see, it's not me. It's Jeremiah in the back. And I'll highlight that all day long as long as it's not me. Okay? That is love, right? Making them take the blame is love. Because they won't improve if they don't take the blame. And I care about them too much to make sure they do not improve, okay? I'm helping them. So sentimental, Mark. Listen to the sermon, man. Love is a specified self-sacrificial commitment to do the greatest good for one another. I know he'll change it. He'll get it done before I'm done talking, maybe even before the end of this sentence. I gave you a chance, man. I gave you a chance to redeem yourself. If you can't do it in that time, maybe you could put it simply this way, okay? Did he do it? There we go. Round of applause back there. Round of applause. So seamless, not even noticeable. (laughs) Love is is specified, okay? Love, according to the world, is unfocused. It's a feeling. It's something that I, I have and I can lose, I can go in and out of. But biblically, love is something specified. It's intentional. It's focused on something. And it's self-sacrificial, meaning it's detriment to you in order to put good on someone else. And you commit to doing that. Love has a lot to do with choice, determination, focus. I mean, you see that all throughout the Bible. You think of Ephesians 1.4. In love, God predestined us. He chose us. It's based on love. Love is a, is a choice. 
Maybe simply put, you could say it's action before affection or sacrifice before sentiment. And if you think about it that way, that puts it in the right order so that we never make what is preeminent what God says is not preeminent. The culture wants to say the affection has to come first and then the action can follow. That's conditional love and there's no way you can build a solid relationship on that. But the Bible says the action, the choice, the determination, the sacrificial act is first, then comes the sentiment. Or the action comes first and then the byproduct, the gift really of God is the affection. So to define it this way, I hope you know, detaches the definition of love from being sentimental. But I want to make sure that you don't think that it's, love is devoid of affection. It's not devoid of it. They are just the byproduct, the outcome of what you do when you choose to love someone. Let me show you this. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. We see it in our text and we'll see it in Deuteronomy as well. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We learn a lot about love in the Old Testament. Notice what God says to the Israelites. Deuteronomy 7. Starting in verse 6. Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen, notice that word, you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than they. Pause right there. You could put in Deuteronomy 9 where he goes and says, it's not because you're more righteous because you do more good things than other nations. So not because you're more in number and not because you're more righteous than other nations that the Lord, notice this, set his love on you and chose you for you're really the fewest of all peoples of the earth. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Love is choice oriented. Love is a determination. Love is choosing to set the good of others above your own. And that's what God is doing here. Not because these people did it and they earned it. In fact, they were not just undeserving, they were ill-deserving. If you take a look at Israel's history, I mean, they were doing things like running after other gods, but God says, I'm going to choose to set my love on you, not because they earned it, but because God chose to do it. He specified a people. He sacrificed for them. He committed to doing this choice, obligation, all of this for the good of another person. Very good definition in the Old Testament. I was doing a little bit of study on this, on the Hebrew word for love that we have here in this text is someone who is covenantally committed to always having the other person's interest above their own. I am covenantally committed to always putting the other person's interest above my own. And that's really a good way to think in marriage about how you should function in a loving relationship. A lot of people treat marriage like a contract. There's some close correspondence between a contract and a covenant. They, they are very similar, but there is definite distinctions. When I go to Verizon, or I actually, I, I always say Verizon because I miss Verizon. I have AT&T, and it's cheaper, but the service is just not as good. I miss Verizon. So if anybody in here works for Verizon and wants to give me a discount, you can talk to me afterwards. Miss Verizon. But let's just say I go to AT&T, and we're going to have a contract. When I go in, and I'm going into contractual arguments with AT&T, I'm trying to protect myself. I want to get something and I want to protect myself. 
I want to say I'm not paying more than this a month. You're going to give me this. This is what I want, and I need you to meet these obligations is really what's going on when you're signing contracts. And if it doesn't meet my expectations, I'm looking to get out of this contract any way that I can. And sadly, that's the way people treat marriage today. They treat it very contractually. I'm coming into this marriage with this expectation on you to meet this amount of happiness in me. And if you don't do that, then this, this contract that we have is not going to be good for me. And I'm going to try to get out of it any way that I can. But the Bible says, stop thinking like a contract and think like a covenant. Because God makes covenants with people, meaning he chooses to do something, listen, for the good of someone else. So if a contract is protecting what I get, a covenant is promising what I'm going to give. And when I start to think that way, that changes everything. When you got married, you said something like, good or bad, richer for poorer, sickness and health, I'm going to love you. So that means against all obstacles, no matter what is coming my way, I'm promising to give this to you. And that's what real love is, unconditional. Meaning, you don't have to do anything to get this. It's because I'm choosing to set my love on you. Now, just so you can know that I don't think that emotions should be detached from love, go with me to Isaiah 62. Notice what God says. Isaiah 62, I think it's verse 7, Isaiah 62. As he's talking, he's thinking about the future kingdom where the Messiah is reigning on earth. Isaiah 62, this is coming future. And if you look at verse 7, let's see if this is it. Isaiah 62, verses 3 through 5. Notice how God talks about Israel in the future. You shall be in the future a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land is married for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married for as a young man marries a young woman so your, uh, so your sons marry you and your bridegroom rejoices over the bride so God will rejoice over you. This is future. God started a relationship with Israel in the Old Testament not because they were so great but because he chose to set his love on you knowing that when he puts in the work and his plan of redemption comes to fruition Everything's going to be made perfect one day and that's when rejoicing happens and joy happens and delight happens. But that is a byproduct of the choice to love the nation of Israel. So it is between you and your spouse. On the day that you got married, you chose to love the other person. You specified this person and you said, I'm going to sacrifice for you. And you know what? Times it's going to be very hard but one day we're working towards great joy and delight. That's the definition of what love is in the Bible. We can't think contractually, but covenantally when it comes to the Bible. Go back to 1 John. We'll see it. 1 John 4. First John 4. Beloved, let us love one another. We need to do this. For love is from God. It comes from him. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Very important scriptures that we have right here. 
Because to say that I know what love is now that I know it's a specified self-sacrificial commitment to someone else to do the highest good for them, once I know what that is, I can't not do that to other people unless I'm willing to call myself a non-Christian because this text says if I've received that love from God, I must give that love to other people. So when you tell someone you love them, you are not communicating, I feel really good about you, but what you are saying is, I promise to do the best for you no matter what, even if it's at detriment to me. And if you don't love that way, what does John say? You don't know God or you've not been born of God. Now, very important language that we have here in the text. This, this first phrase right here, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We're not saying that you have to love other people this way for God to love you. We're saying you can only love other people this way if God has loved you. You see, the priority is on God. Next time we come together, we love because he first loved us. It must be God doing the initiation. In fact, even in the, just the grammar of this, this is a, it's a perfect passive verb, meaning perfect, it's an action done in the past, and it's passively received by the subject, okay? So God in the past causes the person to be born again and then that person can say, I know God presently and if I know God and he's made me to be born again because of his love, then I can rightly say that I'm a Christian. If I don't love others this way, meaning when they treat me bad, I can't love them, how can I say I really know God? John's argument here is that God is love. That is the essence of who God is. And you got to be very careful, especially here, because you will talk to people who want to be able to invert this statement and say, well, just as God is love, so love is God. That just means I need to love people. If you go with that second route, you can define love any way you want, but grammatically in the text, and if you want to see it afterwards, I'll show you why you can't say that, and theologically you can't say that love is God. But you can definitely say God is love. Everything that he does is defined by this definition for the good of other people. That's how Jesus can even say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Why? Because he makes his sunshine on the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust. God chooses to love people, do the highest good for them, even when they do bad to him. And you prove to be his son or his daughter when you love that way. Love cannot be the emotion that we want it to be. Love has to be the commitment leading to the benefit of the emotion, the gift of the emotion, the joy of the emotion, second place. You know, you, you, I know you know this instinctively. I mean, I know this, like my, my mom, she's so, she's so great. One of the most encouraging women you will ever meet. She used to come to my basketball games. I could do no wrong. One time, get ready for this, I missed a free throw in a game. I know you wouldn't think <laughs> that I would miss a free throw in a game, but I missed a free throw in the game. And I heard my mom from the crowd shout, nice height on that one, son. Mom, I missed it, but she can still be so positive to love her boy. Nice height. You had nice height on the shot. Mom, just keep that one. Keep that one to yourself, okay? That one does not need to come to me. 
And she would write things on my, my lunch when I take it to school, right? You ever, moms, you're going to do that? It embarrasses your kid, right? You write notes like, hey, snuggle bunny, I'll see you when you get home, right? And those are the emotional things. My mom did all of those. But if you ask me, hey, give me some evidence of your mom loving you, I don't run to those, right? Those are emotions that are fun to talk about now and fun to express. But if you ask me if my mom loves me, I could tell you 5.30 in the morning, her getting up, making me breakfast every day. You know, I could tell the nights that we stayed up to type papers together when she was dead tired and going to work the next day. I know sacrifice after sacrifice that my mom did for me, and that's what I think about when I think about my mom loving me. My mom is full of emotion, trust me, okay? But that's not what I think about because I know real love is expressed in sacrifice and choice. The emotion is great, but if that, that can't define love, God must define love. And the Bible's going to say it's a commitment, okay? Where's the rest of the text takes us, though? In this is love, okay? So we know what the definition of love is. We know it's from God. In this is love. He's going to give us a demonstration of it. In this is love. The love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what we need to do, number two, is after we've defined love biblically, we need to learn how to love from God's example. Let's learn how to love from God's example. God defined it. Now he's going to demonstrate it for us in the greatest example of love of all time, sending his son. Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people, like that woman who talk about loving yourself, think love is, if you love yourself, you protect yourself. The Bible is not talking about loving yourself to protect yourself. Really, when you love somebody, you make yourself vulnerable. You're really unprotected. It's about doing good for other people. You've got to open yourself up to probably some hurt coming your way. And if that isn't what happened to Jesus Christ, I don't know what did. His whole life was... The God of the universe, whole life was a life of vulnerability here on this earth. He was vulnerable to sickness. He was vulnerable to all the, the, the backstabbing of people. He was vulnerable to so many things. The essence of his human life was vulnerability so he could love us. If you can't do that for someone else, you don't know what real love is. Because Jesus wasn't thinking about himself when he was here on the earth. He wasn't thinking about protecting himself. He could have. Right? I can call down 10,000 angels right now, Peter. I don't need you to swing a sword for me. I'm vulnerable for a purpose to help you. And when you love that way, you're doing it based off the demonstration of, of God. Notice what we learn about God's love. Uh, when you love like God, you, you initiate. That's part of what it means to love someone. You initiate. Mankind had the problem, right? But the manifestation of love was that God sent his son into the world, not waiting for the world to call for what they needed, but seeing the need and meeting it, initiating it, making sure I'm the one who's doing it. So if I'm going to say I really love somebody, I'm not waiting for them to invite me to do it. I'm going in with the initiation myself because that's what we see God doing. Not waiting for the world to love God in order to help them. Oh, you love me now. Now I'm going to take care of your problem. But because there was a problem, God sent his son to take care of it. Not only does he initiate, notice, he sends his best, his one and only son, the text says, monogenes, into the world. It heightens how special this love is, what he is sacrificing, he's giving his best. 
when you say it like that, you're only, right? That's how God talked to Abraham. Remember in Genesis? Give me your son, your only son, the son whom you love. You realize how much of a sacrifice that is for Abraham to give to God, this, this son that he loves? But that's a sacrifice and God says, now I know you fear me. Or translation, I know you love me because you're willing to sacrifice your best for me. That's what's going on here. God sends his best into the world to make sure that we could live through him, as the text says. And finally, not only does he initiate, not only does he give his best, but he conquers any obstacle. See, what he does is he sends his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Mankind has a sin problem. We've broken God's standard. And notice the extent of love. That when I would offend someone like God, he still sends someone to love me. That means there is really no problem that can't be conquered by unconditional love. There was just no problem. If the greatest problem of mankind is that we have a separation between a holy God and an unholy people and God can conquer that with sacrificial love, there is no marital problem that cannot be conquered by sacrificial love. And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe the gospel. You don't believe that you are now God's child because he loved you. When you start to think about it that way, it starts to make all things possible. 1 Corinthians 13, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, can't, can't be stopped, conquers everything. No problem, no miscommunication, no hurt cannot be stopped by the unconquerable love of God. So let's learn from that, guys. If I'm going to say I love my wife, what does that mean? If I say I love my kids, what does that mean? If I say I love people in my church and in my small group, what does that mean? That means there is no issue that you cannot resolve. There's no issue. We're going to make it through because God loved us that way. We're going to make sure we do that. Finally, though, okay, if we, we have the definition of love, we have the demonstration of love, now we want to get to the demand of love. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That is a command. And I hope you understand that about love. People think that, you know, duty and delight can't go together. But this is a demand laid upon you. That word for ought, you should think about that. If you look that up in the original languages, it speaks of a debt owed, an obligation, a duty, a responsibility. If God has loved you this way, you owe it to somebody else to love them that way. So every time you love, it is based off of a command of God. Duty and delight are not antithetical. They're a necessity. I mean, you realize that when you took the covenant with your wife or your husband, every loving act from there was based off of a duty that you have. You've committed yourself to this person. So every act based off of that is not free and it's not emotional. It's based off a decision that you made on the wedding day. So let's get it down to number three this way. Let's demonstrate the love God demands. God demands this, that you love people this way because he's loved you this way. And if you're his child, you should love that way. 
If God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How does Paul say it? Romans 13. Owe nobody anything except to love one another. Same exact word for owe. Owe nobody anything except you're always going to owe them the love that God commands. Uh, Ephesians 5. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. It's a command. It's demanded from God. You must do this. And that doesn't make it any less romantic. It doesn't make it any less genuine. It's actually the most real and genuine thing you can do. Function off a command that God has given you. Remember the line of the old hymn? uh, Love so amazing, so love so divine. What's the next word? Demands my life, my soul, my all. It's what love does. Real genuine love has demands attached to it to make sure that I am doing exactly what is required of me when I have committed to loving somebody else. How did Jesus say it? Uh, I do as the Father commands me. I do as the Father commands me, John 14, 31, so that the world may know that I love him. Did you catch how Jesus expresses his love to the Father? I do as the Father commands me so that everyone who sees me knows that I love the Father. How did he put it earlier? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not antithetical. It's commands and love. Think John 15 says the same thing. Abide in my love, just as I keep the Father's commandments and abide in his love. So there is that demand that you must live this way. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you won't live this way because this is what God is demanding of you. So now think about that. Husbands, when you come home, from work, and you're tired. And at the end of the day, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about the interests of yourself or of your wife and kids? That's what the essence of love is, is to think about their interests. I'm in the same boat you are. There's things that I want to do, but my confession of love for my wife and my kids and ultimately God demands that I think about them. Wives, the same thing. I know you've had kids crawling and puking on you all day, okay? It's a bad thing. But when your husband comes home, shouldn't you think about his interests more than yourself if you're going to call yourself a Christian? That's how a great marriage functions. The wife caring for the husband, the husband caring for the wife, and it's just going back and forth. The problem is, is if we ever say, I'm not getting what you promised, therefore I'm not going to give. And that's where conditional love creeps into a marriage. It can't happen that way. When, one purpose, when the other person promises, no matter what, I'm giving. And then the other person does the same thing. Now we have wholeness in a marriage. It's going to make it the best, but you can survive if one person will love. So will you commit to doing that today? This love transforms anybody. This is John, okay? <laughs> the Apostle John. Remember we read, I think it was Pastor Mike preaching a few weeks ago. What was... Uh, John's nickname in uh, Luke, son of what? Thunder, right? This is a brash guy, very upset. Hey, Jesus, uh, these guys are making fun of us. You want me to burn them to death with fire from heaven? (laughs) Uh, No, John. (laughs) I can't believe I have to say that, right? No, don't burn them from heaven. It's not good. Uh, But that's John. You know, this is John as Jesus is saying, hey, 
I'm about to go show you the greatest example of love that there is. I am going to die for your sins. And you know what John's thinking? Hey, Jesus, where can I sit in the kingdom of heaven? Think how selfish that is. This guy's angry and selfish. But when it gets to the gospel of John, do you ever find John's name in the gospel of John? No. What do you find? The disciple whom Jesus loved. You see, he let divine love change really his identity. People knew me as the son of thunder. Now I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. And if I've received that love, I must give that love. And when I give that love, I'm walking in the way that Christ did. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is our demand to grow Christ-like, to give ourselves up as sacrifices for other people. And when we love that way, we honor God who is love himself. So will you commit to doing that? I hope so. Let's pray. Father, please give us the grace and strength and faith that we need to accomplish what is so antithetical to our nature. We are about self-preservation, not self-emptying, but the, the call of love will call us to empty ourselves. Please, God, help us to do that. And when we do that and you transform our lives, may we give you the, the, the credit you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.